You're listening to a series of historical podcasts from Sandvik on founder Joran Fredrik Joransson and the company he created. My name is Phil Etheridge. And my name is Karina Dahlberg. Episode 3, Bankruptcy and Beyond. Fredrik had perfected the Bessemer process and built both a new factory in Sandviken and a functioning municipality which included a school for workers' children. But huge loans and too little income in the end proved too much for the new company and both Hogbo Steel and Ironworks and Frederick personally went bankrupt. Yes, production stopped in 1866 and the Jöronsson family lost the company and the factory which was rented out to Thompson and Bona, one of the English creditors. It looked as if everything was about to end, but Frederick's son Ernst and Henrik for a time rented the blast furnace in Esken and carried on producing steel. To support himself and his family, Frederick worked as a selling agent and helped several companies with his skills as an entrepreneur. Mm, so 1866 was a frustrating year, in other words. Absolutely. And 1867 was not particularly good for anybody connected with Sandviken as well. Even the harvest was bad that year, and the following winter was very harsh. Working the land was one possibility to keep people employed and feed families, but there was also all form of relief work, which everybody could participate in, including the women and children. They picked scrap from the slag piles, probably not the safest or the healthiest of jobs, mm. but it put food on the table. The scrap they collected was then taken to Högbo for remelting. Uh, Anders Henrik was running the steel mill in Högbo. Well, with a family, it couldn't have been easy just to pack up and move. To go where and do what? Even today, that would be a problem. But uh, establishing the company had costs. Right from the start, the company had attracted a lot of attention. Many long articles had been written about the factory in Sandviken, and there was always someone from the press where there whenever there was something going on. Mm, and a big and a bankruptcy was big news, of course. While most of the news items were regretful and sympathetic, and some even called it a national disaster. During the previous year, there was building up something almost mythical surrounding the person of Jöransson, the Bessemer process and the factory in Sandviken. And some even thought there was something supernatural or some sort of evil power struggle behind the faith of the company. There was talk of English intrigues and Gothenburg jealousy as the main competition came from both those places. Mm. But there were signs that the bankruptcy was not all bad. The Hogbo company ownership was complex, using loans from many sources, both Swedish and English. So it was only a matter of time before something had to change. And could these large loans have been paid back in a reasonable time? Probably not. But the bankruptcy forced the issue, I believe. And uh, Frederick's oldest son, Anders Henrik, who was only 23 at the time of the bankruptcy, had to take on a huge responsibility. This was significant for his personal development as a leader, which ultimately made a great difference to the company in later years. 
Yeah, but meanwhile, the herbal company was to be sold at auction and the future looked incredibly dark. It was also not possible for the Jørgensen family themselves to bid and buy the company back. They didn't have the funds for that as Jørgensen had put all his capital into developing the Bessemer method. The date of the auction was delayed several times, but finally, on the 12th of May 1868, it took place. The buyer was Gävle Dala Mortgage Society, one of the major creditors in the Högbo company bankruptcy. They were there to push the selling price as high as possible by bidding against the Högbo compet- uh, competitors, but accidentally ended up buying mm. the company. That was a very odd event. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yes, indeed. And the result of this occurrence was that the Jørgensen family could anyway buy back the company. The Javle Dala Motor Society agent was a quite short man, and he was there with one of the directors, Willem Elfbrink. For some reason, they weren't standing together, and Elfbrink couldn't see the agent from where he was standing. Consequently, he thought he was bidding on his own against the competition, the English and Gothenburg companies. That is actually quite incredible that they that they didn't stand together in, in something so major as, a, as buying a big factory like that. Yes, actually. The, the plan was to push the price up as high as possible and that one of the competitors were to end up buying. Yeah. But towards the bidding, he miscalculated. The competition backed down and he won the auction. The Javle Dalamotti Society knew nothing about running a steel mill, but this instead led to the Jørgensen family being able to buy back the company. I should also mention that Elfbrink and Fredrik's father-in-law, Daniel, were cousins. So uh, there were also family ties there which was most likely helpful. Uh, Blood is always thicker than water, isn't it? (laughs) Anyway, by November that year, the company was in Anders Henrik Jørgensen's capable hands, and the newly named Sandviken Ironworks could start up as a company. But Fredrik himself was unable to sit on the board of the new company because of his personal bankruptcy. Exactly. That was not allowed by law, and Anders Henrik became the CEO. But behind the scenes, Frederick was still in position of power, as Anders Henrik was very often traveling abroad, up to six months at a time, and someone had to be in Sandviken to run things. Yeah. In November 1868, the English creditors Thompson and Bona were out, and the Euronson family were once again in charge in Sandviken. Things moved along very quickly after that, and production was up and running. By 1871, Sandviken was the largest producer of pig iron in Sweden, but in line with their strategy, that was mostly used to make their own products, and only about 10% was sold as raw material. They were still producing tires and axles for railroad stock. Frederick's business idea to have complete control over the entire supply chain and make advanced products of high quality was the same as before. Yeah, and in fact, it continues to this day as Samik, which is, still has the same 
strategy. Well, nothing has changed in that apartment. Nope. Uh, Anders Henrik got married in 1871. He married Emma Sebat. Um, he built Bruksgården to live in. That's uh, still there now, but now it's a hotel owned by, by uh, Sandvik. They had six children, five girls and one boy. Sigrid, Ellen, Emmy, Karin, Carl Fredrik and Greta, who lived to be almost 101 years old. Sigrid never got married, but it's interesting as she did a lot for both Sandvik and the municipality, and Carl Fredrik became the fourth Sandvik boss. Both Sigrid and Carl Fredrik deserve their own chapter, and hopefully we can do something on them sometime. Be yeah, interesting. Yeah, that would be very nice if we could. Mm. The company also continued to make inroads into Russia. 1872 was an important year, and Sandvik was represented at a very large exhibition in Moscow. It was a big success. They won a gold medal and were the only company to dine with the Tsar. It was huge for them. After that followed several other major exhibitions in Liège, Philadelphia and Paris. Mm, and there were even new products being developed. At the end of 1870s, they were once again back in Moscow with hot roll wire. And shortly after that, they started producing cold rolled wire. The engineer in charge of that development was Albert Jöransson, Henrik's younger brother. Unfortunately, he was injured in an accident at work and died a couple of years later. We mentioned the school that Frederick started in Samiken very early on, but in 1873, the first proper school was built. Yes, and Sandviken was really starting to take shape. It was still a fairly small village, but it was growing, with new housing being built continuously and taking up a larger part of the investment budget. Interestingly, there was a personal relationship being built up between the Jöransson family and the workers and staff, which was unusual and far greater than in other similar communities. There are very many stories told about the council and his workers and the mutual respect held between them. This is exactly what I felt was evident right from the start in Sandviken, that Friedrich and his wife Betty cared about the workers and that the company didn't exist only to make money. It sounds socialist, but I don't think it was about politics. I think it was more about uh, having healthy, happy workers doing a better job. Well, there is no evidence one way or the other, but there is no doubt that there was a genuine caring attitude. We saw some numbers about population growth as well. Between 1871 and 1900, 843 people moved to Sandviken, while, while 395 moved away. For that time, it was a pretty substantial growth, so much in fact that King Oscar and Queen Sophia visited Sandviken in 1875. Mm, well, have we had any royal visitors since then in Sandviken? Yes, of course, and it wasn't long ago that the last visit took place. Uh, King Carl Gustav and Queen Sylvia toured the country in 2009 and stopped off in Sandviken to visit uh, the Jöransson school 
which is still a collaboration between the municipality and Sandvik and a popular school for technique interested students. They also visited the newly built Jöransson Arena. Mm. Jöransson School is yet another subject that we could speak about, reams about, in fact, at some point. Absolutely. It's great for the kids and great for Sandvik. Yeah. But to uh, get back to our story, in 1883, there was a celebration. It was the 25th anniversary of the Besma process. There was a big party in the school building and all the employees were invited. In a way, it was a double celebration because Frederick was at last free of his bankruptcy and could once again be on the board of directors for the company. Probably not something that was celebrated in public, I can imagine. (laughs) No, mostly not. Mm. But another new product was about to enter the market, which was to have a great impact. No longer a product manufactured by Sandvik, but possibly the one that is missed the most and which Sandvik was most famous for. That was saws. I still have a couple of Sandvik saws at home, actually, and uh, even get asked about them now and again from many places around the world, particularly from the US. People are interested in the history of that and and still actually ask for them sometimes, which is kind of strange. Yes, we get questions about that all, all the time. Uh, another 1870s product, which was well known at the time, was ribs for umbrellas. And this product, in years to come, completely dominated the wire department. In fact, Sandvik's umbrella ribs dominated the world market for a time. Mm. They also started production of cold rolled strip in the 1880s and Expansion of the hot rolled strip gave them an opportunity to start production of tubes, which of course came to be the largest product. But the competition became a lot more tough as well. And talking of Bessemer, Frederick met with Sir Henry Bessemer one last time. Yes, it was sometimes during the 1890s. Uh, there was an article published which didn't mention Frederick's efforts with the Bessemer process at all, which must have been a big disappointment. That is actually quite unbelievable. Mm. But he became a member of the Royal Academy of Sciences in 1898, and in the spring of 1900 was also to become an an honorary doctor at Uppsala University. But that war he didn't have time to collect as he died on the 12th of May, age 81, uh, that same year. Mm. And here we now are in the grand reception area at the old Sambik head office in Sambikin. Karina, you also found a newspaper clipping from 1900 about the funeral. It seems that everybody in Sambikin was there, along with many invited guests, and the procession must have been impressive. The family came first, followed by the guests, the Samic officials, white-collar workers, then blue-collar, who were ranked depending on their length of service. And the streets were lined with a hedge made up of children. And Vika Friedlund had plenty to say and was exuberant in his praise of Friedrich. Yes, Vika Friedlund expressed what everybody wanted to hear about Friedrich's significant efforts in industry, Thanks to his natural gifts, his knowledge, genuine interest, and tireless energy. 
that it wasn't just those closest to him that liked him, but also those who came into contact with him. To quote directly from the vicar's formal speech, his was a benevolent mind to which all subordinates could give testimony. And uh, a little more, with him, even the most insignificant worker could count on an open ear, a participating heart for his concerns, and with full confidence leave them in his hands. And of course, they were all there. Yes, it was almost like a royal funeral in miniature. Finally, there were many wreaths. It said up to a hundred, but there were only two on the coffin. The laurel wreath from Uppsala University, and the largest of these was the one from the workers in the factory, described as the giant wreath, which was big enough to wrap around the whole coffin and made of roses and palm leaves. On the two bands was the text, to Consul G.F. Joransson from the operating personnel with love, gratitude and reverence, which says it all. We traced the most significant events from Joran Friedrich Joransson's birth in 1819, the founding of global engineering company Sandvik in 1862, up until his death in 1900. The company continued to grow and to develop many new products and continues its successful development and hopefully we'll be able to continue the story in a new series of podcasts. Which brings us to the end of our historical podcast. Thanks, Karina. Thank you, Phil. Uh, my name is Phil Etheridge. And my name is Karina Dahlberg. And, and thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.